Good morning. Now we're going to turn to Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. And uh, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, most likely written first. And um, so we'll first read the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the Prophets, Or as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and lose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, (coughs) he saw the heavens parting, And the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempted by Satan. And was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we'll ask the Lord for a blessing. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... The Lord Jesus and how he is portrayed in the Gospels. And Father, this morning we hope to look at how he is portrayed to us in the Gospel of Mark. And Father, we thank you for his coming in the world, that he loved us and he gave himself for us, that he came to be the Savior, that he became to be a servant and he came to glorify you. And Father, we pray that this morning... We may receive a blessing from your word. Pray for anyone here in our midst who who does not know the Lord Jesus as his or her Savior. We pray that they too may see that the Lord Jesus died for him and her. And that 
they may uh, trust him and allow him to change their lives. Father, we pray for this. We thank you for the fellowship here. And Father, we pray for the children that we just had up here. We thank you for them. Pray that you may bless them. And we pray that they also may all come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And that we as parents may have the joy of seeing our children one for him. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus loves children. And Father, we give you thanks. And uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. <clears throat> now, it's, I just want to say a few things about the general outline of, first about the Gospels, and then about specifically about the Gospel of Mark. Now, it's interesting and telling that the New Testament does not start with the epistles, but it starts with the Gospels. And I remember when I was in my late teens, when I seriously started studying the Bible, that I spent a lot of time studying the Gospels. I'm not sure why, but I, I, one thing I really enjoyed was comparing the Gospels, the similar stories, and seeing how each of the Gospels brings out a different aspect of the Lord Jesus. So I, I just want to maybe, many of you will know this, but some of our newer believers here, they, they might wonder, no, why, why do we have four Gospels? Why is it not just all one story, all in one narrative? And so, <clears throat> maybe we can show the second slide. That's, uh, that's from the previous message that I preached. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, so the... The Gospel of Matthew was, um, uh, is the Gospel of the King. It shows the Lord Jesus as the King of Israel. It was addressed to the Jews. It is a transition book between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, Matthew emphasizes what the Lord Jesus said. You find there the, the long discourses, the long speeches of the Lord Jesus. He describes the Lord Jesus mainly as the king of Israel. It's interesting that Matthew was a publican. He worked for the local CRA, as we would say. Okay? <clears throat> and so then he started working for another government, for the Lord Jesus. He started working for the king of Israel, the king of kings. Now, Mark's gospel is the gospel of the servant. It is displays... He displays the Lord Jesus as the obedient servant. Now, it's interesting that Mark was actually, if you, the few things that we read about him, he was an attendant. He was an assistant. He was not what you call an, an somebody that, that um, went out by himself, but he was with other people. And so he was an assistant, and and he had his failures, he, had, he, he lapsed, and then he came back. And so it's interesting that the Lord uses him to describe the Lord Jesus as the obedient servant. Then the Gospel of Luke, he takes another view. Luke was a physician, a doctor. And so Luke was interested in people. Luke describes a lot about healings. And so Luke describes the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man, the Man, the perfect Man, the Son of Man. And then finally, John the Fisherman, 
John was very close to the Lord Jesus. He was the disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast. He was the disciple that was maybe the closest to the Lord Jesus. Very, very close friend. Very close. And so he describes the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew describes, emphasizes how the Lord, what the Lord Jesus said. Mark emphasizes what he did. It's a, a book of action. Mark is a book of action. It's very brief. It mentions the word immediately 41 times. Immediately. A servant has to be immediate. That has to be done right now. You know, I hear that in my, word, in my work all the time. We want to have that done right now. Well, that's what you do. It needs to be done right now. And so Mark, he uses that word immediately. Luke describes how the Lord Jesus felt. It's the, the, the gospel of the, the moral, the, the human glory, the, the glory of the Lord Jesus as a man. And then John's gospel, he describes the Lord Jesus of who he is, the Son of God. Now, again, in that kind of line of thinking, for example, Matthew uh, describes the, the birth of the Lord Jesus. The birth of a king is important. You read there the little statement, the child and his mother. Because the child, the king, is more important than the mother. He's the only king that was born a king. Luke's gospel also describes the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it says there, the mother and his child, and the child. That's the order that we usually give it in. That's the human order. But Mark's gospel, he does not mention the birth of the Lord Jesus. Why is that? Because the birth of a servant is not noteworthy. Okay, a servant is to serve. And again, John's gospel doesn't describe his birth either because the Son of God is from all eternity. So all these little things, these little nuggets, I would call them, these little treasures, I just challenge you, both older and younger, to find these Little differences between the Gospels as we go through the Gospel of Mark. There's many of them. And, and, and if you study it long enough and you ponder about the, the, the Word, you think it through. Not just read the Bible. We, we're, very, we're very emphatic about you. Read your Bible. Well, that, that's very important. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to minimize this. But it's not just reading your Bible. You also should... You should um, Meditate, the old-fashioned word, meditate upon the Scriptures. Read it and think it through. Anyway, so why are the Gospels first? Christianity starts with Christ and it ends with Him. And I believe for us to live the Christian life, we don't need more do's and don'ts. We need more to look at Christ, to meditate upon Him, to be worshippers. It is Christ who is the overcomer. It's not a system of uh, pulling yourself up on your bootstraps. It is Christ who is the answer. And so we need, we need the Lord Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit has decided that when we enter the New Testament, we first get f- four views of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these different these different. Writers of the Gospels, they give different aspects 
of uh, the Lord Jesus himself. Now, of course, there's a lot of overlap in the Gospels. 90% of what Mark describes is also mentioned in the other Gospels. Matthew and Mark are very similar, but Mark is a lot shorter. And so, and that again, there is uh, this eyewitness testimony. Matthew and John were one of the 12 disciples, two of the 12 disciples. Luke was perhaps not a direct eyewitness, but he was there with the Apostle Paul, who and also with the other apostles. And Mark was a close assistant of, um, later on, of Peter. And we see him also, most likely, the young man in chapter 14 of, um, what is it? Um, Chapter 14, verse 51 and 52, is most likely John Mark. So um, maybe you can just show me uh, slide number six, since I'm not going according to the slides, but I actually don't want to have too many slides because it restricts me too much. <coughs> um, so John Mark, who is John Mark? Well, he's a Mark. He's called John, and it's actually not John Mark. It's, his name was John, and he was also called Mark. He's mentioned in the book of Acts. He was an assistant to Paul and Barnabas. You read about him in, in, in that, that they took him along. And then he, he bows out. He leaves, he leaves them, goes back to Jerusalem, where he was from. And then later on, uh, uh, Paul writes that Mark was useful to him. Useful. So he, he had a turnaround. And then we know from common history that uh, Mark also spent much time with Peter later in his life. And so most of Mark, it's generally thought that Mark Mark's, uh, received a lot of his information from, from Peter. But most likely also Mark was, while he was not one of the 12 disciples, he was most likely a teenager around the time of... The, when the Lord Jesus was on earth. His mother opened the, her house in Acts chapter 12. Uh, we read that uh, to the Christians. And that was just before Herod Antip, Antipas the first died. And that happened in 44 AD. So we know that uh, Mark was among the, mo the earliest uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus. Um, now, I do say in here that he was an eyewitness. That is, with a few notes, he might have been an early witness. He probably was an eyewitness in the sense of that he was an eyewitness of the events that happened at that time, but not an eyewitness in the sense of the way John and Peter were. <clears throat> now, go to um, um, slide number three. Um, one key verse in Mark's gospel, and maybe we can read it, and it's up on the screen. Mark 10, verse 45. It's probably one of the best verses to describe the gospel of Mark. This verse is actually also mentioned in Matthew 20, but here it really describes the, the gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And those two statements basically describe the gospel of Mark. The first ten chapters uh, 
are about the Lord's ministry uh, to the people of Israel. The last miracle mentioned of the Lord Jesus, at least healing, healing miracle, is in the end of chapter 10. And then from chapter 11 till the end, we see him going to the cross or entering Jerusalem and being crucified and rising again. So there is a clear divide there, chapter 1 to 10, his ministry, he, he came to serve, and chapter 11 to 16, he, gave, he came to give his life a ransom for many. Um, now, you might ask yourself, that's the next slide, uh, what is, like, why, why did Mark write this gospel? Because most of the books in the Bible, at least in the New Testament, there is a clear reason as to why they wrote. So, Mark wrote to the Romans. He, Matthew wrote to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans, the Roman Christians. Luke wrote to the Greeks. And John wrote to the whole world. That's where it is addressed to. So, Mark... Mark's um, gospel was um, most likely written around A.D. 70, maybe a little earlier, because we know that Peter was around, went to Rome around 63 A.D., and he died around 64 A.D. In the, during the reign of Nero. So this was a very tumultuous time. A lot of stuff was happening. Some of the major apostles, like Peter and Paul, were, were uh, martyred for the faith, the leaders of the church. Uh, Jerusalem was being besieged by uh, the Romans from the year 66 till 73 was the last part of that. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. It was tremendous upheaval days. Nero was the first Roman emperor who systematically started persecuting the Christians. This was a very difficult time for the Christians. And even though many of these things were prophesied by the Lord Jesus and the apostles, what would come, it would have really rocked their boats. And so what, what, Peter, what Mark does, he writes to the Christians in Rome and he describes the Lord Jesus as the servant, the servant of servants. And he, uh, <clears throat> he um, and as, as you go through the book, and maybe you can uh, show the next slide, as you go through the book, the disciples are not pictured as very bright. They, they're marked by a lot of misunderstanding, lack of faith, hardening of hearts, um, really, really difficult to convince, and so on. And so they're, they're, they're generally put in not a very bright light, so to speak. And, for example, let me just uh, quote you one part in uh, chapter... Let me see, you know, chapter 8, I think that is... Verse 17, halfway, Mark 8, 17, halfway. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of 
fragments did you take up? And so on. And then verse 21. How is it you do not understand? And you find statements like that all through the gospel. And, and so, at the beginning, they, they, they followed with zeal. You see that, for example, in verse 17. The Lord, he calls disciples. Follow me, he says. Verse 18 says, they immediately dropped everything and followed him. Now, the next speaker will look at that, uh, at those verses. But they, they follow with zeal, straight course, no turning back. And then as you proceed through the gospel, misunderstanding starts coming in. And so, then in chapter 10, that's the only gospel that records that, in chapter 10, verse 32... We find there, um, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. That's the only gospel that mentions this. And so now they're drawing back a little bit. They're drawing back a little bit. Where well, this is going the wrong direction. We're going to the place where there's nothing but trouble. This, is, this doesn't look very good. And then as you proceed through the gospel, then of course we find in chapter 14, and we find it in the other gospels as well, they all forsook him and fled. And, and Mark is very emphatic about this. They all forsook him and fled. And if you go to chapter 14, um, then in verse 54, it says, But Peter followed him at a distance. So there was still a loyalty. It's not that they abandoned him. But the following becomes less intense. You know, here is a lesson for us as well. And this is exactly what Mark is trying to portray to us. To convey the message to his Roman fellow believers. He's saying, you know, you guys might be faltering. You might starting to doubt. Now, this is what happened back in the day. And this is what the Lord Jesus is saying then. Notice what he says in chapter 14, um, verse 28. When before that he says that all, will be, all, all of you will stumble, will be made to stumble. But then he says in verse 28, and this is comfort. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So even though they're all going to forsake him and flee... The Lord gives a comforting message. And he says, when this is all over, I'm going before you and, and, and lead you to Galilee. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 16, verse 7. And when the women, Mary Magdalene and so on, when they um, meet the angels... And they say, the angels say, in verse 7, But go tell his disciples, and Peter, that Peter that denied him, that's the one, that he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him, as he said to you. And so these Roman Christians, they were reading this. They were reading this. And they came to the end of that, of that gospel. And the Lord sends them out. He sends them out. And so, uh, uh, what Mark is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's, trying, he is, he's telling these disciples, these Roman Christians, follow him. Follow Christ. Don't give up. 
Don't draw back. Follow him. The people that were before you, they had their moments too. But the Lord wants to encourage you to keep following him. Don't give up. And you know what? That's the Lord is saying that to us too. It's easy. You know, you start following, you get saved, and you're all excited, and you follow him. And then the trouble starts coming in your life. What are you going to do with that trouble? You're going to bring it to the Lord, or you're going to bring it, or is that going to make you fall away from him? No, the Lord wants us to follow him. Now, <clears throat> much will be said later on about that, no doubt. Um, another way in which you can divide this book is by um, looking at the geography. The first, and maybe you can go to um, slide number seven. So the first, from chapter 1, verse 1, till 8, verse 26, the Lord's ministry happens, all of those chapters happen in Galilee and the immediate surrounding area. So he goes, one time he goes to Tyre, which is in present-day Lebanon, but everything takes place somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Nazareth, um, Bethsaida and all these places. It all happens around the Sea of Galilee. And then from chapter 8, verse 27, to 10, verse 52, which is the end of chapter 10, he is on his way from Galilee to Judea, where Jerusalem is. And as he is on that way, he still does many miracles. And that story, that part of the, of the gospel, that middle part, is marked by two events in which the Lord Jesus heals blind people. So chapter 8, verse 22 to 26, the Lord Jesus heals a blind man. That is just before that section starts. And then, the end of chapter 10, he heals again a blind man. That is, blind Bartimaeus. As if to say, you know, you disciples, you're thick-headed, you don't get it, you're following in fear, you don't understand it, um, you're hard-hearted, you don't see it, but I want to lead you. The Lord Jesus, the seeing one, is leading the blind along the way. And he's opening eyes. He's opening eyes. They follow in fear. And so that this section of going on the way to Jerusalem is flanked by two stories of healing a blind man on e either side of that section. And then from chapter 11 till the end, the Lord Jesus is in Jerusalem. And so in Judea. So there's very clear three sections in Galilee, on the way to Judea, and then in Judea, that is in Jerusalem. <clears throat> so that's another way you can look at it as well. Um, now let's look at some of the verses, and then we'll see a few more things about the Gospel of Mark. There's only one commentary in this whole Gospel. And that's verse 1. The rest is narrative telling. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only explanation that Mark gives. After this verse, everything is narrative. 
He's just telling the story. And so the Lord, Mark makes it clear right from the beginning that this person I'm about to talk about is none other than the Son of God. So even though he was and he is a servant, that is a humble position, I want you to know that this person is the Son of God. So there's no doubt each of the Gospels presents the Lord Jesus very clearly as the Son of God. This was not some kind of a doctrine that came to be some a few hundred years later. No, right from the beginning, the, 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 the Christians, they knew that he is the Son of God. And then he quotes from, uh, it says here, as it is written in the prophets, or in some of the versions it might say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, <clears throat> then he quotes actually from Malachi and from Isaiah. So some people have said, well, this is actually wrong, what Mark did, because he should have said Malachi and Isaiah. Now, I just want you to know that it was a very common thing in those days that if you would quote from a source, from multiple sources, and you would say where the source was from, you would, you would uh, uh, mention the main source where you got this from. See, they, uh, the, our Bible today is, is uh, divided in chapters and numbers and verses and so on. But they didn't have that. People didn't have Bibles. Each, each, everybody had a Bible in their position. So they would quote different parts from the, from the Old Testament, and then they would uh, name the main source where it was from. So the main source here is verse 3, which is from Isaiah 40, and verse 2 is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there's also a very clear a parallel between Mark's gospel and Isaiah. Actually, in the last few days, I read Isaiah 40 to 66. I wanted to have a fresh glimpse of that whole book uh, in relation to the book of Mark. Isaiah, and I, I want to be brief about this, uh, Isaiah uh, describes Israel as a servant, a disobedient servant, who is not doing what God wants. And then from chapter 40 on, we find that God introduces his servant, the Lord Jesus himself. And he is described in Isaiah 42, 49, 50 and 53 as the servant. Very clear. The Messiah, the servant of God. And so both Israel and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, are called the servant of God. And so he uses this servant to do his will, to bring Israel back to himself so that they will obey him. And if you go through that book, um, you find there one theme, especially from chapter 40 on, and this is actually where this gospel starts. It quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now this is referring to John the Baptist. And that's what, what John, this is what is being happening right in this chapter. And so in this whole section of Isaiah, God is giving comforting words to the nation of Israel, that is, to the remnant of Israel that was faithful to God. 
And the, the, the remnant of Israel was all discouraged. Everything is lost. It's all over. There's no future for us. It's over. And God, he comes in and he comforts his people. Yes, there is a future. I have good news. That's a very common theme. Good news for you, for you nation. There's good news. I, Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah is sometimes called the gospel of the Old Testament. It is full of gospel. And so he, he gives them good news and he says, fear not. My servant, the Messiah, he will lead you to that coming kingdom, to that coming uh, future. And so <clears throat> that's what he does. And so here then we find that uh, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that voice crying in the wilderness. Notice the emphasis on the word wilderness. You see that in verse 3, verse 4, verse 12, and verse 13. Now, this was literal wilderness, but Israel is also was at this point in a spiritual wilderness. They were ruled by the Romans. The, the mass of the people were not ready for the Messiah. And, and so John, he comes, he preaches in the wilderness, and he calls people to repentance. Repentance. And the people that obey him, they take this step of baptism, which among the Jews is very common. It's called mitzvah, which was uh, ritual, uh, ritual baptisms. They still do that much today. And so they, by that, they symbolize that they are repenting of their sins and confessing their sins before God. And that's what they do. And so John, he prepares the people. He prepares them. And they are ready to receive the Messiah. And then John, in verse 6 and 7, he, he says he's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to the one that comes after him. And that's what he does. He points to the Lord Jesus himself. And he says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and lose his sandal strap. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that happened on Pentecost Day a number of years later. And then verse 9 to 11. I want to bring out something else. In verse 9 to 11. Then the Lord Jesus... He came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. It's very short, very short. And when he comes up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, parting, that is, rending, rending. He saw it, the heavens rent open. Now, the Gospel of Matthew says that heaven was opened. But here the word is used to rent or to part open. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 64. Because there is multiple references in Mark's gospel of Isaiah. And not only references, direct references, but also many allusions to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 64. Um, maybe just for context, look back in chapter 63. Uh, verse 17. O Lord, this is what the remnant of Israel, the faithful of Israel are saying. O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Return for your servant's sake, the tribes of your inheritance. 
Your holy people have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. We have become like those of old over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. Now, this is actually a very similar situation to what the Jews in, in uh, John the Baptist, they found themselves in. They were ruled by the Romans. Now, notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 64. Oh, that you would rent the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Then verse um, 4, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. So the cry of the remnant in Isaiah is, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. you ever have that feeling? This world is just full of injustice. Evil seems to run rampant. And we actually wish that the Lord would just open heaven and show himself. Ever have that desire? I often think that way. I often think, well, the Lord has come. And here he comes. And here God presents the Lord Jesus. See, the birth of Christ is not mentioned here. The way Mark has uh, organized his material, so to speak, through the Holy Spirit, is that the Lord Jesus is here brought on the scene. And heaven parts. Heaven breaks open. Now, what was seen there, we don't know. I don't know if the people saw anything. But a voice comes from heaven in the form of a dove. The Spirit comes down, descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice comes from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so here we see the Son, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me to chapter 15. Chapter 15. Now actually our brother Rod Bellier uh, pointed this out to me about 18 or 19 years ago when we were doing Bible study downstairs in, on the Gospel of Mark. And so I remember that, and I did some more research on this. And so I just want to bring this out um, uh, here today. Um, chapter 15, verse 37. This is on the cross. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn or rent in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Maybe you can show the last slide. So here we have some similarities. We see two veils. The veil, as it were, of heaven is opened, is rent. It's the same Greek word. Both texts use the word rent, not just opened, rent. In chapter 1, it is heaven that is rent. In chapter 15, it is the veil of the temple that is rent. Now, the veil of the temple, I, I believe it was the inner veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. Some people think it was the veil on the outside. Most commentators think it's the, the inside veil between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. That is the most common 
expectation, uh, the most common thought. That veil had embroidered things on it, and the Jews looked at that veil. Behind that veil is what symbolizes heaven. And actually, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that the Holy of Holies is a picture of heaven. And so, when that veil rent, heaven was opened as well, symbolically. So, in, 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 um, in chapter 1, it is the Father who gives testimony about His Son. This, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In chapter 15, it's the centurion who does the same thing. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. And then in <clears throat> chapter 1, uh, the Lord publicly comes among his people. This is the beginning of the Lord's ministry. He publicly starts his ministry here at this point. He is immediately driven into the wilderness. Driven into the wilderness. It marks the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. God brings his son and reveals his presence to his people in ministry. And then in uh, chapter 15, it ends the Lord's ministry on earth. It is the final act that he does by giving his life. As we saw in chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And what happened there? And we know what happened there. We need, a, we need the light of Hebrews 10. And I'm going to read that. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, verse 19. And this is actually the, the climax of the whole book of Hebrews. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that is the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, that is what it symbolizes. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What happened there on the cross is that the Lord Jesus opened the way to come by faith in the presence of God. And this is very similar to what we saw a few years ago in the book of Exodus. Exodus has two main events. That is the Red Sea crossing, going through the wilderness. You see there, very similar to the disciples. This is a new Exodus here in Mark. As the, the, just like the disciples in Mark's gospel, so the Israelites in the wilderness were hard-hearted, were difficult to teach. And then you come to the end of the book of Exodus, and it leads up to and finalizes, finishes with the climax of that book, when the Lord's glory enters the tabernacle. But there's one difference. Only the high priest could go in into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, every worshiper that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, that has the assurance of faith, can enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. That's the difference. And so we have a great Savior. And he came to serve, but not just to serve. He came to give his life a ransom for many, so that we might serve him. Because these are the big lessons we need to draw from this book. 
What can I learn? How, how do I serve the Lord? How can I serve the Lord? Read Mark's gospel. You know what the most important thing is when it comes to service? Is that you have the Holy Spirit. Now it says here that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. First Peter 4 verse 14 says that the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Did you know that? If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of glory and of God, rests upon you. In other words, you are ready to go and serve Him because you have that Holy Spirit. Not because you have big education, not because you have a lot of brains, but because you have the Holy Spirit and you put yourself available for God. That's what the Lord Jesus did. Now notice here too, if the baptism of John is very similar to the Red Sea crossing, what comes after that the Red Sea crossing was the wilderness journey. And so the Lord Jesus is immediately driven or actually ejected or thrown out into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness, not 40 years, but 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. And then I want to end with these verses and I'll stop. Is that clock okay? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> it's actually one minute late. so uh, One minute uh, earlier. <clears throat> um, and then it says in verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So both John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus preached repentance. Did you know that the first words, out, public words, out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus and out of the mouth of John the Baptist was repent, a call to repentance. And people don't like to hear that today. What is repentance? It means a change of mind. It means to change your attitude about your sins. It means to to realize that you have offended God with your sins and change your mind. You see, these people that listen to John the Baptist, they, they repented of their sins and they symbolized that, that by going into baptism, the baptism of John. This is not Christian baptism yet, but they took that step and they made themselves ready for the coming of the Messiah. And they believed the gospel. Now, the, the gospel that he was preaching here was the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is offered to the Jews. It's very similar, as we see in, in Matthew's gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is offered to the Jewish people. They were waiting for the king. And if you want to have the kingdom, you have to receive the king. And so this is what they preached. Now, what are we waiting for here? We're waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the rapture. Now, I just want to, I know a lot of people, they're not saved, but they do believe that Jesus is coming back. But they're not ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's coming? For coming back? What does he want you to do? He wants you to repent and believe the gospel. If you haven't repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not ready for his return. He is coming back. Our time also is a tumultuous time. We live in days of great upheaval, 
of cultural changes that we have never seen for hundreds of years in our, in our culture. Much stuff is going on in the Middle East. Things are shaping up for the end times. Jesus is coming back. He came. This was a an, an, an time of upheaval, but it was also a time of hope for God's, for the people that were waiting for him, for a remnant that was ready to receive him. Are you ready to receive the Lord Jesus today? When you say, well, what, what, what do I have to do to get saved? Like, like all you, you need to do is, is to recognize, yes, I am lost. I am lost. And I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. That's why he sent his son. He came that you might have life and might have life through his name. That's why he went to the cross. That's what we read in Mark 10, 45. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. You need your sins forgiven. And if your sins are not forgiven, you're not ready for the Lord's coming. He is coming back. And so we see this, that uh, the Lord Jesus, he preached repentance. And the gospel of the kingdom was offered to the Jews. And today, salvation is offered to you. If you accept the Lord Jesus as your own personal Savior, you you, you will have life. As the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Why don't you come to him today if you have never done this? And as we go through this book, may we have an eye for the Lord Jesus himself. Recognize him on every page of Scripture. Because the scriptures, they speak of him. And God is well pleased with his son. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for who he is and what he has done. And Father, we thank you that he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We thank you that he gave everything that he had. And that he was your obedient servant who was willing to come and to... Uh, safe people. We thank you that he had much patience with his disciples. They were so hard-hearted. And they were marked by, uh, often by unbelief, misunderstanding. And Peter even rebuked him when he talked to him about his impending sufferings. And they followed in fear. And yet the Lord Jesus went ahead. And he went to that cross. And Father, we thank you that he gave his life as a ransom for many. We pray that anyone here this morning who is not saved, that they also may come to him and see that the Lord Jesus loved him, loved her, and gave himself for her, for him. Father, we pray for this. We pray that you may work in our midst, and we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.